This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Kamal Debussy, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, well, what a message, hey? The book is called A Father's Plea. Kamal has spent his life working with community organisations for asylum seekers, refugees and migrants. He has been CEO of Western Sydney Migrant Resource Centre for 17 years. Wow. In 2015, his daughter Mariam was coerced by her husband into the grips of ISIS in Syria. She remains in a refugee camp today with her three children and Kamal has been tirelessly working with Save the Children to bring them home for over two years. It's not just her that's there, it's many mothers and children that are Australian mothers and children that are over there, is that right? That's correct, yes. Yes, our campaign numbers are 67, 20 mothers and 47 children though there's been a little bit of shifting with with those numbers. That's only a count of Australians, there'd be many others, wouldn't there? Oh yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm going to firstly let you tell me the story. And then, firstly, so she's been gone how many years? How, how many years has Marion Marian been gone? It was early 2015 that she left Australia. We actually travelled together initially to, to Malaysia and then they went on to, to Lebanon and to Turkey. I came back. Um, and so it's been since March uh, 2015. But you were working for the Western Sydney Market Resource Centre before then? Oh, yes, I've been working for some time. And it's ironic that your child, where here you are, helping others and helping migrants in this country, and I think it's such a worthwhile organisation, the Western Sydney Migrant Resource Centre, and then this happens to you. Anyway, tell us the story so that all our listeners know what happened. Sure. Um uh, it is a complex story and we try and simplify it. So my, my journey begins with a knock on my door by the Australian government in which um, they coming to speak to me saying that my daughter was in Syria and that she'd been coerced into going. And I didn't know where in Syria she'd gone to. They didn't tell me where. They didn't tell me information about his family or him. They just said that she was there and they believed that she'd been coerced. And, and so the, the journey begins. I had a whole lot of follow-up questions. I'd been trying to contact my daughter. There had been silence on the other side. It was a little while later that we had realised that she was in um, she was in Syria and uh, got that confirmed. I didn't know where. I didn't know that it was in the clutches of IS. I didn't know whether she was in the FSA or the Free Syrian Army Territory. You know, there are over 100 different groups operating in Syria. So it took me some time to figure out exactly where she had ended up. And, and so begins this journey of, of uh, trying to gather bits of information. She had been monitored through all her communication with me. So what I've got was always sanitised. I didn't, I didn't know that her husband had actually coerced her into going at gunpoint. 
until I visited her in August 19 at the camp. I got permission. I fangled my way across. I, I did uh, a lot of uh, activity and effort to get to Al Hol refugee camp is where she was. And at that time, I was told that you know, she'd been tricked to the border. At gunpoint, her husband had forced her to go across with my 18-month-old granddaughter at that point in time. The gunshots rang out, and, and, and then that story also was verified by my son-in-law's mother, who was with Mariam at the time. He had coerced and put at gunpoint not only my daughter but his own mother and father and brother and take them all into IS territory at that point in time. And, and it's been a journey of incremental learnings of trying to get understand what's come through messages since everything is being monitored backwards and forwards, punctuated by a very, very large disappearance of my daughter. I spent 17 months not knowing whether she was alive or dead in Syria. The last, you know, I, I got a message saying that she was going to try and escape and leave and then everything went quiet, nothing for 17 months. And, and I had actually thought that she had succumbed um, in, in, in that exercise. So um, she ended up, so she, she had, in that meantime, she had uh, gone across, she was pregnant when she was taken across. Her husband died a month before she gave birth to her second child. A few months after that, she tried to leave. She was caught, hence the 17-month break. She was taken to a jail. She was forced to marry another IS fighter. We have a third grandchild, which we love dearly. He died. She was then made contact with me, but she was forced again to marry a third time. And then soon after that, she managed to flee IS control ended up in the hands of the Kurds. This is where she is in today, in the hands of the Kurds. And so there's been this. Do you know, it is such a, an extraordinary story of how a young Australian girl gets to that situation. Tell me about her and her life, because how did she end up with a fellow like him? Where where did he come from? How did this well, happen? Well, as as I, as I outlined in the book, actually, we Mariam uh, grew up, and I think I think as I, as I trying to point out in the story, uh, Mariam's mother and I uh, divorced when Mariam was in year six, and and you know late year six, early year seven, she came to live with me. She always missed, uh, I think, the idea of family, and she loved the idea of large family. And as she grew older, she she loved people more and more. She was a gregarious, outgoing young girl, and she loved people all, always. Is she your eldest? Yes, she is. Yes. Yeah. I have I have two daughters and and she's she's the elder of the two um, and and uh, so she became attracted to this guy who when I met was a sweet young guy an Australian uh, guy Australian guy same background Lebanese Lebanese background to herself grown up here gone to school here actually to be honest with you saw a fair bit of myself in him you know he was he was quite well natured he was very pleasant a bit undisciplined um, but, uh, but 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 a nice guy all, are you his time. parents. I met his parents. They they were religiously conservative, but certainly not nothing that I hadn't seen before or we worried about. And and so whilst I got along with them, they were just conservative people, different different to myself. Carla certainly wasn't conservative. Um, he had uh, he had a very similar sort of background and outlook in life to what Mariam had had, and uh, that had some youthful indiscretions as, as young people do with growing up. And um, they uh, she fallen very much in love with him, and 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 he had fallen in love with her. They they had Absolutely. fought. Do you think do you think that there was um abuse and coercion in the relationship? 
that you weren't seeing or you weren't identifying? No, no, no. no. I don't think there was abuse and coercion. I think I do go back and look at it to see whether or not there was a young woman changes when she gets married. Yeah. And I go back and I think, well, were those changes normal life changes or were they were they sort of more untowards? Um, I, I had to try and be careful as a father not to be the meddlesome father-in-law or the meddlesome but, parent in that relationship. Explain uh, that to me a bit more. I don't know what you mean. Firstly, how old was she and what differences were you noticing? Okay, well, she, she was she was quite young. She was about 19 when she got married. She wanted to get married earlier and I, I had actually said, you're too young, you're too young. I'd gone through this exercise with them. But around the fifth time they said they wanted to get married, I said, well, either I, I acquiesce or they're going to do it without my support. So she, she got, they get married quite young um, as well. Um, he's only a couple of years older than her, so they're both quite young when, when, when they got married. Changes in her in that um, she'd started to attend uh, some more community religious classes. Uh, she then very quickly put on the scarf, and, and I want to make a point, I have no problem with the, with the scarf and, and the hijab. I think it was the speed in which it happened I, I sort of looked at and thought, mm, that's, that, that's interesting, um, and, and I quizzed her about it and I spoke to her about it and came away thinking, well, you know, she's gone in there with her eyes open. She And do you think that was coming from him or that was coming from her? How was he accepting these changes, her husband? Oh, I think he some of those changes he encouraged and, and some of them were her as well. I, you know, certainly after they got married, he did settle down. He became a bit more like his parents. But it, it's hard, you know, the, the blurring of lines between, you know, the environment changing you and you being forced to change is, is, is a difficult line to draw upon. And people do like do life change. So I always I was trying to check myself, is this change what's normal or is this change untowards? I've been reading a lot. I mean, I've been watching that show on um, SBS about uh, domestic violence. Um, you made me do it. I don't know if you've heard of seen that. I, I, yeah, I'm aware of the show. Um, I, I don't yeah. get a line. And a lot of the conversation around that has been that, you know, he was a really nice guy, you know, I really liked him and the family, the parents, you know, who break my heart, you know, he was a really nice guy. And then they moved in together or then they got married and things changed. Do you think that that's a similar path? The evidence is I go back and look at it all. Uh, no, no, I genuinely don't think that's the path. Um, mm-hmm. I think putting this together and still putting it together. The going to Turkey, actually, Mariam had some red flags there. So part of the the issue about tricking her to the border is actually quite essential because had Mariam had an inkling of what was going on, she would not have got along with this. Okay, before we get there, go back a little bit. So you had seen some changes in her, right? Yes. So she was becoming, what, more religious or more fundamentalist? What what were the changes? Uh, I'd, no, I'd, say, I'd say she'd be becoming more religious. Yeah, which that, is fine. Which is yeah. fine. It's not totally yeah. unusual. If someone has a child yeah. and their life changes and and yeah. and uh, and things and your outlook on life changes and some of those youthful indiscretions become uh, useful indiscretions, as I could put it them, and, and, and one, one, one grows up a little bit. So I, I wasn't particularly worried with any of this stuff. In fact, in some, some spaces I thought that was quite a maturing process for her. Some things she started to come across that she was rejecting. There was, there was a couple of things she'd seen that she had said, no, no, that's that's not right, and she'd pulled away. She'd remembered some of the early instructions that I'd given her, and 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 so she seemed to be drawing a line around some things and accepting other things. So from where I was sitting, it wasn't a coercion. It was actually her taking on life is the way I'm looking back at it now. But I have gone back and looked and saying that I missed something, you know, that something happened that I wasn't quite aware of. You know, I have beat myself up a fair bit over 
those earlier days trying to understand was there something there that I should have picked up on. Right. So then we get to the stage where she's traveling. So I just want to work up to that. So she's taking an overseas trip with her husband and much at my instigation, I'd, I'd said to them before they had their first child, you know, you need to go and explore life and travel. You see, you learn so much more of traveling. He had never gone overseas before. Mariam had gone overseas a couple of times, but he had never gone overseas before. Then she fell pregnant, she had a child, and before the child turned one, I, I'd said, you need to travel now or else this opportunity probably won't exist later. So um, when the opportunity came for them to travel, they took it, I encouraged it, I was going to Malaysia. They said they'd come along with me. I was very excited with the whole exercise and increasingly a distant son-in-law. I thought I'd give a chance to rebond and reconnect with him. So you were feeling some distance from him? Yes, I was just feeling a little bit of distance from him. He was was working hard also trying to provide and spend less and less time with him, particularly after the birth of the child. So, yeah, there was a little bit of distance that had started to grow in in between me and he, yes. Mm. And how old was the baby? Uh, when they started travelling, the baby was was well. She was walking, so she was just just over one at the time. So uh, so yes, yeah, she was she was very cute, and and you know I love the opportunity to spend extra time with my granddaughter. Right. Um, as, so as all three of you left for a trip. How did uh, well, actually, the four of us with the grand with the granddaughter. Oh, of course. Yes. yes, we left on a trip. Um, we went to Malaysia. I did the conference. We uh, we travelled a bit, did the street food and and whatnot. She then. We actually went to Dubai together. I only spent a couple of days with them in Dubai and then I had to return back to Australia for work. So I, I left them in Dubai at, at, at that end and um, it was a very a difficult goodbye, but, you know, uh, you'll see you in a few months' time. And, and, and You away. didn't pick anything in him then? Nothing? Oh, no, nothing That's at a... all. Nothing at all. In wow. fact, we had a great trip. We went sand duning. Uh, we went, uh, we went. you know, the, the mall shopping. Um, you know, uh, he wasn't much of a foodie. I'm, I like my food, so uh, we started... I started using some of the foodie outlets that I, I got. He he was that's you know the picture of a doting father. I I did not pick up anything of his behaviour then that was out of the ordinary, or something that I should be concerned about. In fact, quite the opposite. I came away quite satisfied from that trip. Hence why when the knock on the door came, I was absolutely floored. Okay, so they continued on their trip. Yes, you came back home, and so how many weeks after you got back home did this happen? Oh, we're, talk- we're talking a couple of months after I came back home. This, the knock on the door happened. So they 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 went to Lebanon. They'd seen the families. Um, they'd then gone on to Turkey. They were staying in a farmhouse in Turkey outside. And Holidaying. Well, it was a holiday adventure. Um, yeah. What it, what it was. Yeah. And and that's. But that's- nothing untoward in that time. You couldn't feel that anything was quite. Not- I didn't think anything was untoward. There was. The only thing that was untoward was when they got to Turkey. Apparently, they were supposed to be meeting his brother there. That was my understanding, and his brother wasn't there. And I picked up, and Mariam got a little bit less quiet and unknowns to myself. Um, she had made contact to her mother saying, I'm trying to get tickets to come back to Australia. And Khaled was putting up obstacles and objections. I'd said to her, look, I'll come to Turkey. I'd like to see you guys. I was actually going to Germany, and I said, I'll come via Turkey. And she said, no, Dad, if you come, then, you know, Khaled will say you've come and and we won't be able to get back to Australia for the foreseeable future. We'll just stay a bit longer. So Carla has put some obstacles up. I think Mariam had a small red flag come up initially because she she then didn't make contact with her mum trying to get tickets to come back home. Carla had found out, her husband had found, found out and, and, and somehow massaged that so that wouldn't happen. And, and then from there uh, she settled down. I mean, they were in there for a few months. He found some local work. And what do you do? When he, in Turkey. 
in Turkey, yes. He was an electrician. He'd done some cash and hand work. The adventure continues. And so, you know, what happens to people, I suspect, like all marriages, you know, your initial fears comes up, things settle down, those fears dissipate, and they were just, just exploring that different part of the world, that different environment, and uh, enjoying what, where they were at was my, was my understanding. Okay, so then you're at home and that dreaded knock comes on the door. You uh, had no idea. I had no idea, no. Uh, the knock comes on the door. The, the final discussion was, I believe she's still in Turkey, and they said, well, we believe she's, she's in Syria and we hope you are correct, was what they said to me. We hope who who was they? Oh, the Australian government officials that came and knocked on my door part of law enforcement um, that came came and knocked on my door at that point in time. They weren't difficult. They weren't, uh, you know, they were just they were just informing me and trying to get whatever information I had with me at that point in time. And tell me about that. I mean, that must have been such a huge shock to you. And as a father, the fear and the grief. I was floored. I didn't believe it. It took me a fair while to even comprehend what they were saying and that possibility of that taking place. And sort of at the end, I, you know, I kept asking what, what evidence they had, what they could bring with them, why, you know, how they got to that stage. And I, I told them it was only recently I, I had, you know, we recently, like the last couple of weeks, thought that she was here and this is the information that she'd given me and this is the discussion that we'd had. And, and, and I'd had a couple of photos around the farmland that they were staying at. And uh, I, I said, I, it, just, it just didn't comprehend. It took, it took me actually a few days to start to really comprehend what they told me. It didn't. It, it just didn't sink in at that particular visit. My younger daughter was in the house and she was upstairs in her room, so she caught most of that conversation from from the confines of her room. Um, and really, I, th- I think it was in my my post discussions with her that sort of cemented that there was something seriously wrong here. But I still didn't believe it until she confirmed it to me. Who confirmed it to you? Well, I thinking that she was still in Turkey booked a ticket and I was going to Turkey. I'd started getting some plans together and oh, that's where I was going. And um, I kept texting her saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And uh, then uh, it was probably about uh, six weeks after that when basically my bags were packed and I was I was travelling. The day, the day before, two days before I was, I was meant to travel, um, I got a message from her saying, Dad, you've probably worked out something's happened. Be very careful, careful what you say. Uh, hopefully as long as everything works out, I'll be able to still communicate with you. Um, and there was a, sort of this warning that came in to be careful about as to what I do and who I speak to and and, and what I say. And uh, I think that was, she didn't say it explicitly, but the tone of that message had been very different to everything prior to that. And and that's the message that I I got from her. And and that's that, that more or less cemented where she was and, and, knowing, and knowing going to Turkey, I wouldn't have been able to do anything. Um, I, I cancelled that trip. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The text messages you were getting before, were they really sent from her? Was she at that time in Syria knowingly lying to you or was she coerced into lying to you? Um, no, I, I, I don't know. The, the, the messages that she'd sent, that message, that text message that came in from Syria, and, and these are, the timeline here is, is, is not exactly 100% clear. And in my communications with her, it hasn't been my priority to find out this message was sent from where at which time. Yeah, it's been no. much more about her survival. But I, I believe that that message that she sent to me saying, Dad, you've worked out something's happened or you've you figured out something's happened. Be careful what you say and who you speak to. I think that was the first message that she sent to me from, from Syria. I actually think the messages beforehand were, were always from Turkey, but there had been a break of communication for maybe six weeks beforehand and then they had another six weeks afterwards. So a total of about three months where I didn't hear anything from her. I think she'd been she'd gone across in that, in that time frame. She'd been forced mm. across that time frame. How difficult was you to rig up your wife, your ex-wife, and tell her what's happening to your daughter? Um, my ex-wife, actually, I think my, 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 my ex-wife at that time, um, oh, gee, Cheryl, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, that was, didn't feature strongly in my memories as to that first discussion with my ex-wife. I think I, I uh, from memory, said to her I need to speak to you and, and went to visit her. I didn't, um, I didn't talk to her over the phone on this matter. Mm. I think I went to visit her. Um, and I actually think I went to visit her after she sent me that text message. So before that text message, I really didn't communicate with her very mm. much at all. It, it was after that text message that I got that I think. And after the police coming to your door, because I, I just was, imagine. Well, after the police came to my door that I went to speak to her, yes. Right, yeah. I mean, that's terrifying for any parents. Yes, it, it would be. And 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 in fairness to her, um, you know, I can't speak to her mindset, but no, I, I don't think she's coped very well with this with this at all. And I think she's rather, rather than trying to deal with it, she, she's, she has a shutdown mm. around it rather than mm. deal with it. So it's just been something she hasn't dealt with. So with, with the authorities coming to see you, I mean, you know, your daughter, Mariam, is an adult, right? So why are they sharing this information with you? Are they investigating you or, you know, trying to work out how this happened? How interested are the authorities in how kids end up that way? And how can we bring them back? Or what was it that they wanted from you? Looking back at it, there was very little about the wanting to try and get her back or about how to return or actually what the motivations were that drove this. They really wanted to know about uh, him and his family and his extended family. Uh, unknowns to me, the family had been under surveillance for some period of time, hence why they picked up so quickly that she was there and that she'd gone. They, they were surveilling and monitoring their communications. They were trying to ask me for information about the family tree on his family side, um, his extended contacts, to which I was totally oblivious to. I knew he had a large family, but I really knew very little about the family and who was there and who wasn't there at that point. I, I knew very, very little at that point in time. But as, as it turns out, his brother was quite senior in the IS structure and they were fearing that... And you were... didn't know that before? No, 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 no. I had no idea before. Well, they're not going to share that with you, yeah. are they? Yeah, and and no, and the family, the family didn't share that. No one from the family shared that with me. And and as I've gotten to know the family, they're also mortified and horrified with the whole situation as it's unfolded anyway. But they were suspecting there were more members in the family here in Australia that might have been under the influence of IS. And um, 
And that's what they were really much more concerned about than about my daughter's welfare or getting her back, really. So I'm just going to kind of try and visualise if this was me, because I would have been, after the police left or the authorities or whoever they were, I would have been in an absolute rage. And I reckon my first point would have been to pick up the phone or go over and rip into that family. I just want to know how you controlled yourself and you dealt with that information, because really it is a parent's worst nightmare. It is a parent's worst nightmare, and it has been a nightmare ever since. Yes, uh, I, 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 you know, let me not on the, on the play. This, this, the impact that it, that it's had has been enormous. I work with communities, and I worked with disadvantaged people. I've had some social work training, and that kicked in. And the first thing you do is you don't react. You know, you, you, you actually. Need- well, I'll try and remember that. <laughs> Uh, you, you need to just actually, you know, everything that you're being told, you don't show an expression, you accept the information. And and then my management experience came into being is saying verify your facts before you act. You need to verify, verify, verify. And that's that's the mode that I went into, verify this information. I, I Life experience maybe taught me that um, if you act without verifying, sometimes the facts are wrong and you get yourself into a lot of trouble. So I was verifying as much as I could before I could go forward. But then my focus went to be: I'm going to Turkey. This is got. To, I've got to, you know, going to correct this situation, whatever it is. So, I started making contacts. I started speaking to people on the off chance that she was in Syria. I tried to contact people that might know how to get into Syria because of the civil war situation. So, I made a whole range of contacts, but that was quite useless because I didn't even know which part of Syria she was in. I know I, I had no idea where she was in Syria, and and Mariam didn't couldn't tell me where she was in Syria because that was one of the things that was being monitored. So I, I, I was trying to verify information. I was trying to get information and then I, I, I couldn't, you know, it was. It, so you think she was taken from Turkey to Syria. How is it that she ended up there? Like at what point could she have said, no, I'm not doing this? Or could she have? Well, she would have had, he's managed to fool me. He's managed to fool his mother. He's managed to fool his father. He's managed to fool his wife. So he's managed to fool a number of people in this, in this exercise. So the story goes... And you still don't think there's coercive control there? I think it's trafficking control. Yeah. Um, so, so, it, so to put the to put the, the missing piece in the story for you, Cheryl. Already in Syria, unbeknownst to myself, I think Mariam did know this at some stage. I don't know when she knew this, but in Syria, already was not only her husband's brother but her husband's sister. They were both already in Syria. The news was. We've got people smugglers involved. We're getting our sister out of Syria. She's coming to the border. We're going to go and get her. She's been liberated from the clutches of IS. This was a story that was told amongst the family. So this is how he got the whole family down to the border to receive the sister, which was going to have this miraculous escape from IS clutches. So there's actually anticipation of joy and happiness, and the whole family went to pick them up and... Of course, the reverse was true. Meeting them at the border was a group of people that had, you know, going to force them across and, and they had to run under gunfire. So Mariam was much more of Carla's equal and had Carla told her I'm planning to go in, Mariam would have, I think, you know, she is a strong-willed person. She would have seen this and stopped this. She probably had an inkling when she first turned up, but then a number of months went by and things settled down or a period of time went on and she settled down. The trick was getting them to the border. And he, as I said, not only tricked his wife, he tricked his mother and father and he took them all to the border and they, and they were taken across. Um, the mother tells me a very similar story 
and the only interview in which the father has ever been shown since since the demise of IS is he says both his sons were brainwashed by IS, and and that's 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 the only hint that he's given in that in that interview. So why do you think? I mean, you know, I what are the chances of ever getting these people back? There I mean, is. there is so many. I feel that there is so many barriers here. There are so many barriers. Like one, the Australian government is particularly the current one. I mean, you work for a refugee organisation. You know what we're like. We like to lock people up for a very long time for no reason. I mean, it just gives me little hope in knowing that the priority for government, the priority for a lot of Australian people is, well, they got over there. Why would we bring them back? Well, I, I first. So you know, I don't feel that way. No, no, no. I understand, and that's, yeah. that's and and that, that are questions that, that have been raised and mm. that have been asked. Um, certainly, and and I, I think that uh, that we need to clarify and put a spotlight onto some of this discussion. There is an inconsistency of the Australian position right across the board, but privately, um, we are told that they will make their way back home sooner or later, and there's an acceptance by bureaucracy that yes, they are entitled to come home, and they will come home because they are Australians. They are Australian nationals, um, yeah. and my, my daughter is only Australian. She's not entitled to any other citizenship not no. either. My grandchildren are Australian. They're not entitled to any other citizenship. So they are coming home. My grandson will come home whether he's 3, 5, 15 or 25, and my, my granddaughter will come home when she's seven, 17 or 27. The only way that they're not coming home is, is if they die. And is that really the position the Australian government is taking? We would rather they die than not come home. And I, I cannot believe that any any person really wishes for them to die rather than coming home that's in their right mind and and so so that's that's there's an inconsistency in the position there's there is an acceptance they they will eventually come home the the barriers the public they've put up in the public space is that they're either a danger to get them home or they're in in that it's dangerous to get people there to bring them home or they might pose a risk to australia but i, I do note that the government's quite inconsistent because convicted men the convicted men fighters for IS are being extradited to Australia. Women that are no convictions against them that are innocent are left to languish and children. And their children. And children, of course, have committed no crime and should never be put in detention, um, remain in detention. So there is an inconsistent Australian position. We have an offer from the United States which says that they will bring them to the border to relative safety for the Australian government to repatriate from the safety of, of Iraq, where we have consular assistance and consular services. And the official position from the Prime Minister is that this is a hypothetical offer. And that's the, you know that rests on the public record. I do note in Senate Estimates hearings last week that there was a statement made by Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade in which they've said they're considering the American offer in relation to these women on a case-by-case basis. But we, we point out that the public pronouncements by ministers of the day is that whilst they acknowledge there are men that have returned and there are men that will be returning, but it's the women somehow that can cause mass casualty events and cause danger and a risk to Australia. So there is this demonising of the women and dehumanising of the women on a constant basis, but no language against the men. So there is this there is an invested position of the government to continue to hold the line publicly. But privately, we do believe that there is um, there is plans in place that are requiring political uh, acquiescence for things to happen. And we remain hopeful. Um, they are Australian nationals. I'm very disappointed that the Australian government have sought legal advice in which their legal advice says they have no human rights obligations towards Australian nationals in Syria, which I think is a really poor thing to have even sought. I mean, if you just consider for the moment the question that you would have had to ask 
we are seeking advice to relinquish our responsibility to Australian nationals? Mm -hmm. That's the question they have to ask themselves. So I think that's a matter of interpretation. So uh, there are legal steps that will be put in place. And at which point in the future will this crack and change? I'm not sure. It is stuck until it is unstuck. Do you think both governments have the same view or would you have a different view with a different government? I believe uh, considering the amount of pressure that has been applied and and awareness that's been applied, had it not been this government, I do think that that government would have changed. I, I do not think that, you know, had the Labor Party been in power, there would have been a straight reversal. I do think that there would have been a fair bit of negotiation going on. But considering the government's pure objection to rescuing these women, exactly that, they don't want to be seen to rescuing women. It's an, it's an ideological objection. There is no human rights basis. There's no humanitarian basis. There is no, there is no logical basis for them to continue to be there, nor is it sustainable. Mm-hmm. When your key ally United, in the United States and your key ally in the region, the Kurds, wants them to come home, they will eventually come home. It's this period that we are holding them there is purely doing them damage. In the How long have they, has she been there with her children? In the camps, in the, in the detention centres. They've been now two and a half, two and a half years now. Mm. Do you think COVID has complicated things? I think COVID has complicated things by virtue of the Australian government being distracted. There's a lot of bureaucrats and a lot of officials that have been focusing on COVID. Mm. The, the irony is it actually would have been easier to bring them back during COVID because there'd been less international traffic there would have been more control at the borders. There would have been easier access for them. They would have been put into quarantine on return, allowing state government services to intervene and discuss and, and interview them, controlling things a lot better. So COVID practically would have been easier, but the bureaucrats have been so distracted with dealing with other things that it's actually been uh, this 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 uh, this unfortunate, more difficult. This unfortunate this disconnection. Kamal, um, we're out of time. Thank you so much. Uh, The book is called A Father's Plea and really I appreciate your time with me today. Thank you very much, Cheryl. I very much appreciate the time and to being here as well. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.